This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger. And today, I am so, so happy to welcome Aliza Vellani to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Okay, so today, I am going to rave all about Aliza. But before I do that, I'm going to rave all about Sweet Tooth. When I first saw the trailer for Sweet Tooth, the eight-part post-apocalyptic fantasy action-adventure series that hit Netflix in early June, I was intrigued but also confused. I wasn't familiar with Jeff Lemire's comic book series about a boy who's half human and half deer navigating a world that has been devastated by a virus that has killed a lot of people and led to the mysterious emergence of hybrid babies born part human, part animal. But when I screened the trailer and I saw those shots of newborn babies and incubators with hooves and feathers and fur, I wasn't sure where the series would go. I just knew that I wanted to watch. And watch I did. And it is everything I needed in this moment of change as we move from full lockdown and out into a vaccinated world. Sweet Tooth is a pandemic story, yes, but it's not consumed with suffering, paranoia, and despair. It's about people and like human-animal hybrid people discovering themselves in the aftermath of loss who are building bonds and embarking on adventures and learning there are many ways to be heroic. In short, it's about hope. So that's my raving about Sweet Tooth. And now I'm gonna rave about Aliza Vellani. Aliza plays Rani Singh, a character I knew I was gonna love as soon as I heard her name because Rani is my middle name. In Hindi, Rani means queen, and Rani Singh is definitely the queen of her husband's world. Rani has the virus, capital T, capital V, but it is a rare but she is a rare long-term survivor. Thanks entirely to her husband, doctor, doctor husbands. Dr. Husband? Sure, we'll go with that. Aditya's devotion and treatment. But over the course of eight episodes, Rani and Aditya learn the true cost of Rani's years of life-saving treatments. As Rani, Eliza is vulnerable and strong and funny and is hopelessly devoted to her husband as he is to her. It's a much different role than my other favorite Eliza Vellani role. That of the teenage Leila Siddiqui on CBC's iconic comedy Little Mosque on the Prairie. 
So today, I want to talk about the magic and mystery of Sweet Tooth, especially in the context of 2021. I want to talk about where Ronnie ends and Elisa begins, and honestly get to know this actress who is 100% deserving of that Maharani moniker, Elisa Villani. Welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so stoked to be here. And I love that intro. It makes me feel so special. <laughs> like the Maharani that you are. <laughs> like all the Maharanis. Like all the Maharanis. Actually, I told a friend, I told my friend Sharon Taylor recently that like if I was ever a gangster, not that I have any plans to not be a podcaster anymore and move into gangsterism, <laughs> um, but if I was a gangster, my gangster name would be the Maharani. I love that. Isn't that great? Well, that's a good one, right? Yeah, I just yeah. Love the name, yeah, the name Ronnie, and I love that that's your middle name. That's yeah, fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's such a fitting name as well for for her and for these like characters as well. It's such a fun role to play. I can imagine. Okay, before we get into talking about Ronnie and Sweet Tooth, yeah, I'm gonna ask you the question that I've been asking everybody that I've been speaking to in 2020 and 2021. How are you? I'm doing okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's such a loaded question it now, is right? It's such a loaded question now. And I think the big reason is because with everything that's been going on in 2020 and now 2021, I am living on such huge highs and mm. such huge lows. Mm. And so that's what I think I mean by okay, because I still have these wonderful, incredible things happening in my life, but I'm also trying to navigate the world that we're currently in. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with okay. The world is weird right now, right? It really is. Like when we sit when I just had lunch with a friend and I think we spent like 72% of the conversation talking about how weird everything is. Like this is weird, right? Like sitting inside the restaurant is weird, right? Us seeing each other. Exactly. It's weird, just right? Just being in this space right now. Yeah, yeah, we're recording in the studio. Yeah, which is great. The but fact it's that weird. You asked me to to come in. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's an option. I would love that." And, you know, we're taking all these precautions and it just feels great to be talking across from someone yeah. and to say, hey. With plexiglass in between with, us, though. Yes, very much with <laughs> all of the precautions. Um, and it's it feels right, but it also, it's like you're tiptoeing in. You're dipping your toes back into the water and saying, yeah. okay, are we all okay with this? We are really checking in with everyone right now to see what everyone's capacity is. Yeah. And while that's a great thing, it also takes a lot of energy to do that. Now, what does that do for somebody like you who is having... This, I mean, Sweet Tooth is a big hit, like however you measure it, right? Critically and also by the numbers, it's a big hit and your character is an important part of this big hit. How, how has COVID impacted your enjoyment of being part of Sweet Tooth? Yeah, I mean, it played a role that I never thought it would, which was that we filmed the pilot in 2019. So we filmed it in June of 2019, what? eight months before... COVID was a thing. So that first scene, you see me with, you know, dripples and like red and and essentially getting the sick. That was something with no context to COVID. And so really what was happening in March of 2020 is I was reliving everything Ronnie had experienced six months prior. Wow, okay, so I gotta ask. Yeah. Because we're really getting into it now. Oh, yeah. Um, and I will say, we. I'll tell the listeners, like, I, 
I want you to go and watch Sweet Tooth. So we are going to refrain from too many spoilers. Um, we'll tell you what I think you need to know, which, I mean, we pretty much covered in the intro. This a Sweet Tooth takes place. It begins with a pandemic. Exactly. So I got to wonder, though, did, did working on Sweet Tooth then, I, I mean, oh, my God, you just blew my mind. Yeah. Did it prepare you in any way? To, or or did it or did it scare you <laughs> because you're like shit? I yeah. know what can happen with a pandemic because I lived it exactly <laughs> in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, in, in New Zealand, which ended up being one of the safest, the safest places. place. Exactly. So that's fucked up. What was bizarre is that there were scenes that we filmed, and not all of the scenes that we filmed actually made it into the full season. Yeah, but there were images of you know things flying off the shelves and just the panic that you were seeing in the world and seeing that happen in real time mm. in March, going into you know a drugstore and seeing things off the shelves, seeing images that you know Jim Mickle, our, our showrunner and creator, had put into the pilot. Mm. And so for me, the more I got to see those images come into play in my real life, the more I started to understand that this was going to be a really long journey mm. <laughs> and something that was very similar to Ronnie. I honestly think that also being newly married and living the experience of Ronnie Singh, who is a wife, I had a whole different context to how much I feared for my husband getting sick. Mm. And my husband works in healthcare. And oh. Yeah, so he, he's not in the medical side, but at the beginning of 2020, there were conversations of, okay, are we gonna start asking provincial healthcare workers to come in and volunteer? And back then when you didn't know how bad things could get, you just feel that fear. You don't want to see your partner put themselves on the front lines and it, it genuinely scares you. And that I think, really informed me on how to play Ronnie when we went back to film the rest of the season. So, okay, so I didn't know that. So timeline-wise, yeah, you filmed in June 2019. Yeah. And then you took a break? Yeah, so we, we got the pilot, and then it was a question of whether we, we got picked up. We found out we got picked up, and then COVID happened, and we were supposed to, I believe, originally go in around May of 2020. So production got delayed and they already had all the go-aheads from New Zealand, but it really was trying to get us all there. Mm. Could we all quarantine? Now that we're doing a season, could we actually implement everything that was needed to do it safely? And so it ended up being August that Holy we all flew cow. in 2020. So it was over a year. my mind, Eliza. So you did the pilot before the pandemic and then you filmed the pandemic story during the pandemic. Yeah. And in one of the safest yeah. places you could possibly be. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. Wow. And this story, what I think was so great is they were able to shift it. Because now, because we've already lived through the pandemic, they were able to step away from that and say, okay, you know exactly what this is. And now, you know, they go 10 years later because Sweet Tooth is you know, the main character mm -hmm. and, and seeing his journey, they were able to focus on the fantastical adventure world yeah. of these characters. Yeah, it's not re-traumatizing. Like, it's, like, especially for somebody 
Well, I mean, like like everybody. We've Everyone. all lived through. It's not like like somebody has lived through the pandemic and like no, we've all lived through the pandemic. Exactly. It wasn't like I watched it. I'm like, oh, this is a pandemic story. Oh, boring. Because I've watched. I've already lived through it. No. If anything, it like. Well, I'll, I'll ask you. Yeah. Because I'm sure you've watched it. I have. Now. Yes. <laughs> you've watched it. Um, you know, like I I personally like I watched this and I found it very healing especially at this point in time when we're walking outside and seeing friends and it feels really weird. Um, and yet because of the of the hope and the fact that people are building new lives in the way that they are in the series, like I found this series very healing. But what do you think, you know, beyond the fact that you filmed this before and during the pandemic, like as an audience member, you know, what what role, what do you what role do you think it can play in moving us to the next level of the pandemic? Or am I putting way too much pressure on no, a Netflix show? No, <laughs> and you know what? It's funny that you say healing because that's the word I've been using for the last six months since we've known about this project and worked on it, Yeah, is that the goal really is to provide hope, to provide healing, to allow us to all reconnect, and in a way to not quite escape to this beautiful world, but to acknowledge that there can be a beautiful world still out there. Mm. And so when we've all been so isolated, you know, in our in our apartments and lockdowns and, and going in and out of different restrictions, this is a world that has none. Mm. And it's so beautiful. And they focus on that. But they don't shy away from creating a balance between the dark and the light. Yeah. And you see that. And I think what's so beautiful is that's always been the core part of this show, even from the beginning when Robert Downey Jr. and Susan Downey first found, you know, uh, Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth, comic the comics. Yeah, yeah, the comics are originally very dark. And they wanted to bring some hope into it. They mm -hmm. wanted to find a different way to tell the story, but still have the same core elements. And it's beautiful that that's what we started with. It was never meant to be this dark, grimy story that makes you scared. Yeah. Right? And it's through the eyes of a child. Yeah. I want to talk about Ronnie. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, she, I, she's very brave and courageous, and she's also trying to survive and support her dude. Um, been there. Um do you agree? And oh, God, I don't want to give spoilers mm. at all. But you know the way that she reacts in a pandemic, in the pandemic, and as yeah. somebody who is really keeping her diagnosis to herself, you know, she lives yeah. in a community where diagnosis does not go over. No, very it really well. doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it does not go over well. Um, how do you like what do you think of the way that she reacted and do you agree with all of her choices like were yeah. you aligned in that kind of way it was definitely a journey finding ronnie in this new world uh and in her condition yeah uh, you know because she is a survivor i think what they captured so well is that everything about their experience is rooted in love, mm. is rooted in togetherness, but sometimes that can cloud everything else around you. Yeah. And what kind of, what was a discussion uh, with the producers is we were really trying to figure out, you know, how, how much does she have to turn off? 
Mm. How much does she have to say, you know what, I'm in survivor mode, I'm protecting myself, I'm protecting my husband, and that's all that matters. Yeah. And we really had to show these two individuals as good people that are having to make really hard choices. And that is the truth of what we're living in right now. Yeah. There are a lot of choices that looking back, we might not be as proud of ourselves for. Mm. And what I love is that we, as a society, are trying to make our own peace with that. Mm-hmm. Of, do I feel like I'm a good person? Or do I feel like I have conveniently ignored things in the world so that I don't have to deal with it emotionally. Mm. And Ronnie encompasses that. Yeah, Ronnie is a person that is desperately trying to save herself, save her partner, and at some point she has to make the decision that nothing else matters. Yeah, And that is hard for people to see. You see that shift, and I won't reveal anything in the mid-season, but you do see a shift in her that she starts to realize, I have to make some of these hard decisions and take that weight off of my partner. Mm-hmm. And that's what you notice in a partnership as well in, in our own marriages, that there are some people that carry different weights and there's a balance. You know, while one person is carrying the weight of uh, one burden, another partner might say, hey, I've got this. Let me take this. Yeah. And that's really what you see with Ronnie is, you know, she's not the doctor. She's not the doctor that everyone looks to for answers and she's relying on him so the most she can do is be his biggest cheerleader yeah. and say I got this we got this let's go you know what let's not think about everything else it's just you and me and that was the core of who Ronnie was and that was the part I connected with the most as a wife myself yeah yeah so one of the things because I follow you in all the social media <laughs> um, and I noticed that you have been sharing photos from your time in New Zealand filming Sweet Tooth and it looked like you had the best time ever you know like when you weren't filming you were like sightseeing and you were at a like a art class and can you tell me about the experience like who these people were your 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 colleagues and our in team ar- your comrades in arms your team <laughs> and and you know that experience of you know being away from home during the pandemic you know and what you found with this this yeah. other group of people and that was the hardest part actually is I went there by myself I wasn't able to bring any family with me yeah uh and that was the longest time I had been away from home and the farthest I had been away from home and so there was a part of me that was very homesick and also trying to navigate going from a country that had a lot of restrictions that had cases going up to a country that had a COVID zero approach Mm. and so you went from being super cautious to all of a sudden there's no real restrictions or at least the restrictions are aren't as heavy. Yeah. So that in itself was an adjustment of socializing. Yeah. But one thing we all collectively wanted, because the cast, the team, we came from everywhere around the world. We had people from Canada, US, UK, uh, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, everywhere. And we all had different experiences of the pandemic and we all came together to create this beautiful story and we just wanted to spend as much time with one another as we possibly could mm. in any way we could. And uh, Christian's mom, a little shout out to Lisa. 
she was the activity organizer. She was saying, you know what, if we're going to spend time together, let's do something fun. So she would organize the art class and the pottery classes and just adventure. That, that was Christian's mom? Yeah. She's, shout she's out to Lisa. Yes. Seriously. Huge shout out to Lisa, who is an incredible mom. Uh she was just Lisa. Don't tell uh, Christian that my daughter has a big crush on him. Okay, <laughs> it'll be our little secret. Uh, you, me, and Lisa. <laughs> yeah, you, me, and Lisa. That little secret that Christian's got admirers. I don't want it to get to his head. Uh, yeah, Mari's age appropriate. She's ten. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, full disclosure. Um, it was it was such a wonderful way for all of us to bond, yeah. especially in a show that was about adventure and being in the outdoors and having all of these experiences. And making it a family out of who's there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we do have such a diverse cast, yeah. you know, in age and in background in where we come from. And it was so wonderful that we all got to bond through this one experience of how grateful we were to be where we were, to yeah. work on a project that really mattered, that really the core goal was to bring a story of hope and love mm. and that was so needed and we yeah. knew it was needed and so for us we were like hey if this is going to be a story about hope and love and connection we better all be as connected as possibly be yeah uh and even now you know we're we're all in our respective countries and we have a group chat and we're all just in gotta love a group chat right it's all the whatsapp <laughs> chats it's great oh it's a whatsapp chat of course it oh. is okay because it's international <laughs> yes, yes it's international yes oh i get that yeah. um okay so what is something that you got to do on sweet tooth that you have never had the chance to do before Ooh. Okay, what how can I say this without giving too much away? You know what? It's in the trailer. So okay. I can say there is a point where Adil and I are in a set of chairs back to back and we are in uh, a very fiery situation. <laughs> that is a that is a good way of putting it. Yes. And so, if you want to watch the trailer, you can find it in the footnotes for this episode. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I have a fear of fire. Oh, God. Yes. And Oh, no. Oh, no is right. So I wasn't sure how I was going to feel. I just knew that. Whenever it comes to work, I'm willing to to try anything. You're a professional. Almost. I, I try to be a professional. <laughs> I was willing. Sorry, I talked over that part. I'm willing to try anything. Almost. Almost. <laughs> almost. Uh, so that almost is important. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I had mentioned it to the team, and they came up to me and said, "Hey, we want to make sure, like, you know, it's super safe. You'll be okay. We'll have, uh, you know, stunt doubles, and make sure that you feel completely comfortable." And I explained to them that my fear of fire is a bit of an irrational fear, uh, where if I'm not the one in control of the flame, like I don't have to do anything with it, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, let's see what's going on. So uh, can I just say, though, it is perfectly rational to have a fear of fire. I think so. Yeah. Like, that's the kind that, like, I think that's like on a, on a, like, a, genetic like yeah. it, it level in the fiber of our being yeah we have a fear of it's not like having a fear of 
clowns. Sorry, I know they're <laughs> creepy, but they're not like terrifying. They're not going to okay. hurt you. Yeah, it depends on you the know. clowns you meet. But it's well, yeah, the couple that are serial killers. Those guys aside, we don't like. Yeah, those we don't like those. But otherwise, like they're not going to all going to hurt you. Fire's going to hurt you. Yeah, but yeah. this is where the fear gets irrational. So there is a point uh, where they actually show a puja in in oh, the show. Yeah, and so. Uh, Adil or I had to light a candle. And at that moment, I had to go to Adil and say, this is the irrational part of my fear. I need you to light the candle. I can't I can't light matches. It's the most uncomfortable, fearful thing mm. for me to light a match. And so that was the moment where I showed fear. But then when we get into those chairs uh, a few episodes later, you've got, you know, fire gel and fire boxes that are quite close to you and it, the flame is actually very very hot yeah and i remember sitting in those chairs and they were about to switch us out for the stunt doubles mm-hmm. and adil looks at our director robin and goes can we actually just do it ourselves and have the flames closer and you're like shut the I'm fuck like, up. <laughs> i'm like really who asked you to say that but like i said i'm a professional i'm a team player so there was a little pause robin looks at me and i went yeah okay and robin turns to uh the team and says the actors would like the flames pointed at them and that's what happened is we ended up being in a very very hot fiery scene uh that was going against everything that I try to avoid. Wow. Yeah, fire. Fire on set. It's it's a whole thing. Oh, man. But wow. it turned out great. And I mean, it looks great. Now I know the terror is real. It is real. That's yeah. real fire. That's not added. Yeah, so when we see you <laughs> that's being real. terrified, that's real. That's real fire. I would have elbowed my co-star at that point. <laughs> I like, couldn't. You, you'll you see the situation I'm in. I had very little movement and capacity to just headbutt. Yeah, exactly. Just give a little headbutt. Like, yeah. What are you doing? Wow. Um, you did mention the Downies. Yes. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. in particular is... He's an icon. I think that's safe to say. He's yeah, Iron Man. the Downies um, are. It's amazing. H- how did how did their involvement in the project impact the actors? It was surreal for sure, but I think what meant more was how involved they were in the process from start to finish, even before the actors got there. Hmm. Uh, they had been working on this for years, and. So a true passion project, then, yes, for the Downies. very much so. Yeah, uh, and you really see that, and you felt that because you had producers from Team Downey also on set, even though they weren't able to be there, and we kept hearing live feedback. They were getting the dailies. They were watching it. Uh, Susan Downey came to a virtual table read. It felt so wonderful to feel like they were watching. They were happy with it, and they just wanted the best for everyone that was working on it. Yeah. And you felt that. And it's so rare to feel that from the top down to production. Yeah. Because there's so much going on, right? There's so many different stages, so many different departments. And at that point, you're just trying to get the production done. But to feel the support of the producers right then and there was something that we all 
truly cherish. Because it's not always like that. It I don't most know why. Definitely is not. But it's really not always like that at all. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so do we know anything about a possible season two yet? We do not. Ah. I know. I'm so sorry. I, I was like, did, I asked it. Mari to do you have any questions for Lisa? She's like, when are we going to find out what happens? Hopefully we find yeah. out soon. I mean, <laughs> it, we're getting closer now. It's It's been out for a few weeks. People love it. It's been so wonderful. Yeah. It's so great to hear that, you know, everyone's truly loving it and getting something different. Everyone is getting something else out yeah. of it. It's not just one consensus. There's different people of different age groups and different communities that are loving it for different reasons. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. 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 What a wonderful thing to be a part of. Now, I mean, we've been talking for more than 20 minutes now, and um, we haven't talked about the fact that you're a brown woman. Yeah. That has not come up. And frankly, I mean, I mean, you mentioned Pooja and, you you know, we've mentioned your, your character's name is Rani and yeah. you're married to Dr. Singh. And but it's not a, a story point at exactly. all. Yeah. Um, and yet you your character matters and your presence matters. Um, can, can we talk a little bit more about the fact because, you know, I mean, one of the things that we love to talk about here on the YVR Screen Scene podcast is diversity and inclusion. We've been talking about it since before it was trendy. Absolutely. Uh, because it matters. Yes. It, it really matters. Um, what did what does this project mean to you in that kind of sense? And and were, were did you have any concerns going in about you know what would be what the character might look like or right. what would be expected you know especially as a character named Ronnie and you're married mm-hmm. to Dr. Singh and you know you know like it's it, before you knew who you were working with and what it was actually going to be exactly and you know what is so great is Jeff Lemire created Dr. Singh so Dr. Singh is in the original he's comments. canon he is <laughs> uh, so he you know, you do have a brown person that is in those comics, which I think is great. Yeah. And then the fact that the creators expanded on his story and, you know, my character, Ronnie, isn't in the original graphic novel. So they expanded his world. And now we have an Indian woman in yeah. this world. And something that surprised me and in a good way was the second I got to set, you know, our head of costume, Amanda Neal immediately wanted to collaborate on being a brown woman and I, I, I might even get emotional Ugh. talking about it because I, I haven't that. I haven't properly talked about it um, so it wasn't about like we're just going to shoehorn you into whatever clothes we have here and exactly. accessories we'll have here tell me about the conversations that you had it was collaboration from beginning to end mm-hmm. it was saying hey this is a woman that comes from the UK we had established that she was from the UK. And then we said, what is the age range? Where does she come from? And that's where it started. Where does she come from? Who is she? And asking me that. It wasn't, hey, this is what we've decided who she is. Yeah. We've all read the script and we say, you know what? Is there anything within the culture that you want to bring in? What culture do you think that she's from? What is the faith that these are from? And when we started having those conversations, it wasn't just costume and makeup you know even in makeup you know our uh, Steph Knight our head of hair and makeup asked are there aspects that you want to include Mm. 
and that is the, yeah, and the and you know and what it does make me emotional. That's, yeah, it does, right? Yeah. And and Jim as well, seeing that he was putting them into the scripts, but did the research and even emailed us saying, "Hey, we're thinking about doing this. How do you guys feel about it?" Hmm. We were part of the conversation, and they were doing the research. They weren't asking us for permission or asking us for research. They were going out there and doing it. They had for the puja. They brought someone as a consultant on set. Hmm. They weren't relying purely on Adil and myself for validation. Yeah, they did the work without being asked to do the work. Yeah, and that was shocking to me. Mm. I couldn't process it while I was there until I left and went. We just created authentic South Asian human beings where their culture and their faith were part of the context of the story yeah. and influenced their decision making but wasn't explicitly stated wasn't part of the plot point it was just there they were if just there yeah, yeah if it was a person and they also love pop tarts and they also love yes. scrabble yeah you know because we contain multitudes baby exactly <laughs> these were diverse characters these yeah. were complex south asian characters yeah. and it it meant so much that I didn't have to fight so hard for that. It was just there. And all of us felt that in every aspect. We have so many different characters from different backgrounds. And even Danya Ramirez, who plays Amy Eden, got to bring her own influence into Amy Eden and that character. I love her, right? She's incredible. (laughs) She's an amazing human being. And honestly, we weren't afraid to do that. Mm -hmm. And we were invited to do that. And... I think that's what speaks to Sweet Tooth and why it can be relatable to so many people across the world is that it shows how to effortlessly show representation without that needing to be the plot point, without that needing to be like, hey, look at us, we're showing representation, let's show this off to the world. It was effortless and they didn't need to bring attention to it. It was organic. Yeah, Yeah, it was organic, exactly. And that's what makes me so grateful to be part of this team. Yeah. Can we talk about that in comparison with Little Mosque on the Prairie? Right. Um, Because, I mean, when I think about, well, first of all, everybody needs to read the book because (laughs) that book, the memoir is phenomenal. Um, But a a lot of what made that show so special was just its existence, mm-hmm. frankly. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you watch it, you're like, oh, it's funny, and these characters are are ridiculous and you know, larger amazing. than life in yeah. a way. Yeah. Or or there's similarities. Oh look, like there's wow, like Muslims aren't scary. Look, they're just like the Anglicans or they're yeah. just like the you know, it's and um which I mean frankly was something that like needed at that to time. happen at that time. Absolutely. Right? Like, can, can you talk a b- little bit more about, like, how revolutionary it was? Yeah. You know, at the time? I mean, we're talking about a show that, you know, frankly, um, it had a hard time the con- being sold to America, you know? Yeah, and I think it because it was through a Canadian lens. Yeah. Uh, very much so. And that's where we were in Canada's history, to be able to approach that from yeah. a Canadian lens. But... One thing that I think needs to be praised even more by Canadians is this was a show created by a Muslim woman of color. Yeah. Like, hello, can we actually 
celebrate that? Yeah. Can we really celebrate that? And that's what makes me so proud to be part of that show, is that it was a show written, created by a Muslim woman of color, and even her experience informed Layla's character. Yeah. Right? Growing up as a Muslim girl in a Canadian society, trying to find the balance between other generations culture and her current generation yeah and that was something i just wanted to be a teenager yeah we got to see you be a teenager oh yeah (laughs) on tv full-on teenager (laughs) you got to see some gnarly moments of you know female teenagehood uh it's all gnarly but especially when you're you're a Muslim teen on the prairies, man. Oh, it, it's tough. It, <laughs> I'm glad I was on the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, it was it was such an incredible experience. That in itself was a family. Yeah. Uh, I definitely felt like I had a bunch of aunties and uncles really looking after me when I was on that show. I mean, yeah. I was 14. Uh, You're 14? I was 14 when I started that show. Wow. 14 to 20. That was my life. Oh my God, you spent your teens on... A hundred percent. I grew up on that show and they, you know, the cast got to see every minute of it. I can't even imagine, I mean, I'm just thinking about the zits that I had and the attitudes that I had and the... Oh my God, the awkward, the crit. I'm like recoiling into myself, my teen years, and you spent it on a film (laughs) set. Wow. Yeah. But even there, they, they um, you know, hair and makeup, same thing again. They had women of color who were part of the hair and makeup team. They they had such a supportive group of people when I was there. And that really mattered. Was that what, was up. that, er, like, was that early in your 2000 career? And that was the first job I ever had. The first job you had. So how I was would, spoiled. Let's put yeah, it that so way. I was gonna say, like you know, the experience of being on a show, you know, that was based on on the work of uh, you know a Muslim woman of color, mm-hmm. um, and you are being embraced for who you are and nurtured, especially during your teen years. Oh my God! Yeah, and then you move out of that show and you go forth in your your yeah. career. You know, what was it? What what discoveries did you have about the industry, about the reality of the rest of the industry? Yeah, after Little Mosque. It was a bit of a shock, to be honest. Uh, I, my first job as a career was a show that tackled a really big concept and took on a really big challenge of fighting Islamophobia using comedy, using love. Again, love, so important. Yeah. and. That's what I thought the industry was. Mm. Because I also had incredible veterans in the industry working on this show that made sure that I felt safe, Mm. that made sure I grew up in a professional setting at CBC. I was given all that, and that was a privilege. And I didn't really understand how much of a privilege that was until I left, had my degree, and then went into the world of acting again and auditioning and seeing what was actually out there. Mm. I didn't understand how revolutionary that show was until I had to actually find another role and and find an actual, find longevity in my career. And realizing that, you know, as wonderful and successful as Little Mosque was, it wasn't like there was gonna be another brown girl role just right out the gate available. Yeah, I mean, and, and frankly, if you 
if you look at you know CBC television, how many shows since Little Mosque have? I mean, l- let alone BIPOC people, yeah, but that have had South Asian people, that have had you know Muslim people, you know, at the fr- at the f- leading a series or mm-hmm. series that have been built around them. You know, it's yeah. so it's so rare, and yet then we see with something like Sweet Tooth is that if you want to authentically, you know, integrate, you know, people of color, although I've been challenged recently not to use diversity as much because diversity. Yeah, inclusion, but like diversity, like it centers whiteness, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like whiteness and others, you know, but it's possible, but there has to be the willingness. Yeah. You know. And the work. That's there. The willingness, the work, and then, but how, what can, like, is, does the responsibility also fall on you as the actor to make choices, you know, accordingly to be like, I'm not going to work on that or I'm going to work on that instead or. I think that's the biggest challenge is you fear that if you start using your voice to say I'm not going to work on X, Y, and Z that you're going to be reprimanded for it. Mm. So that's one challenge. And I think when it comes to the work, what's important is that this is not just solely the responsibility of people of color to do the work. Right? And I'm nodding. Yeah. Vociferously. And and honestly, it was funny how when Sweet Tooth came along and they were doing the work, Mm. That I was like, wait, what? I don't have to fight for this so hard. I don't need to be the only person kind of screaming at the top of my lungs that, hey, pay attention to all of these accuracies and authenticities to people of color. They were so willing and they did the work themselves. So did you find then that you you had like battle scars for being in this industry for so long? That, 100%. Like, you know, um, it's even a kind of trauma, right? Like, you know, yeah. just like be, uh, you're a BIPOC actor in this industry and you walk in expecting that it's going to be hard and then you're relieved when it's not? Relieved, but also waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. And that's the trauma, yeah. right? Is that when something good is happening, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. or. I think actually something really interesting I've experienced through Sweet Tooth being accompanied with so much love and care that when there's so much going on in the world right now that feels like we can't celebrate, it becomes hard as a person of color to say, hey, I'm celebrating all of this wonderful work that's going on in the world when there are so many areas that still need a lot more to do. Yeah. So that's been a big challenge for me is that, you know what, here's a show that is doing everything we've been fighting for, and yet there is still a huge fight ahead. Yeah, I mean, we're talking on a on a day where they have found more than 700. Yeah. Um, 751. 751 uh, indigenous children uh, in unmarked graves next to a residential quote-unquote school. Um, we are a few weeks out from a... Uh, uh, a hate attack against a family, a Muslim family, mm-hmm. you know, walking around, you know, just living their life. Yeah. Like all, all, I was trying to explain this to a white friend. I'm like, immigrant parents love to go for walks. Yeah. Like walks are a thing, you know? I go for walks. Yeah. Walks with your grandma. Yeah. That's a thing. That's like a I've thing. had, I, 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 that is such like a sense memory. I like, I, I think of, you know, and you can't, don't even have the safety for that. But then I'm wondering about like the connection between all of that hate mm-hmm. and also the healing that needs to happen yeah, and the reconciliation that really needs to happen, but, and also the film and television industry 
and what we see on screen and you know the role that 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 has to play like what do you see as the connection you know between Mm -hmm. what we see on screen you know and you know and and the the i want to say the illness in the world but it is Mm -hmm. it's such a it's such an illness it does feel like white supremacy right yeah it because it manifests in such ugly ways yeah it's not like white supremacy makes everybody feel good (laughs) (laughs) makes everybody's life better yeah maybe white people's but you know if you're bipoc it is not like that at all it's a challenge it it, it makes it it's an everyday challenge yeah and um yeah, so like what where do you see the impact? And is like was there anything in like either in your experience mm-hmm. with with Little Mosque or That's that's what I'm thinking of yeah. right now because uh Zabe Sheikh, who is the lead on the show and is now the um oh I'm gonna mess this up, I think the consulate general at uh in Los Angeles for Canadians. Are you serious? Zabe Sheikh, yeah, he's in he's doing incredible things I right now. I love that. That's amazing. Um, I hope I've gotten that title right. I'm so sorry, Zabe, if I've, <laughs> I've butchered that. Uh, but he worded it perfectly that, you know, we created this show in, in 2007 and the fact that there are still these attacks happening today, mm. when you create a show like that, your hope is that it ripples off and and leads to less of these hateful acts happening in the world. Yeah. And it's defeating when you're so proud of a show and what it tried to do, and then you have to face the fact that, did it do enough? Did it do anything? Mm. Do we need to do more? What more can we do? When you create a show like that, it was revolutionary, Yeah, you know, for Canada. And when you get to be a part of it, you also hope that it lives on in a positive way and it did more good. Yeah. And so it's hard to find that when you see moments where families are being targeted and you think the solution is if we put more content out there, maybe that destigmatizes. Mm. But the truth is we we need to get more people watching that kind of content. That content. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it shouldn't content. all come down to one show either. Exactly. You know, I was looking at the... Um, Frankly, almost all the national broadcasters of Canada, yeah. you know, um, like I, you know, they just had their big announcements of what their new seasons are going to look like. Yeah, and you look at it, and it is like the amount of content created for the broadcast. I'm not talking about streaming services. I'm yeah, talking broadcast. about you know, like City TV, mm-hmm. Global, um, CTV. There's such a minuscule amount of content that's being created by Canadians, right? Yes. You know, um, and like you'll have a network where it's like they might have one dramatic show that's filmed in Canada, um, a few reality shows, and then all the other shows in their primetime lineup are these like acronym shows that are like, you know, like, (laughs) and that are about like, you know, crime and justice and terrorism yeah. in the states. Yeah, you know. And so, if that's what people who might not be watching streaming services, because apparently a lot more people are are not as many people. Like I only watch streaming services, yeah. or like if it's like something even like CB. Like today I was watching CBC News Network. I have this CBC Gem app, so I watch it through that. Right, like nice. I watch everything through an app or a streaming service. But a lot of the country isn't like that. Yeah. They're watching the American acronym, you know, truth, law, and justice shows. Yeah. And like, and like, 
they have not been decolonized. They have not been, you know, they don't think about diversity and inclusion yeah. in the same kind of way, right? Well, they can you know? still play by the same rules that they always have. Yeah. Um, Brown are, Brown's bad people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's falling the into white sa- a narrative. There's white savior. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. the white savior narrative, and um, you know, it's ha- it's hard to be like like a show for little moss lone voice in the, and yet it, but you you cannot, you I, cannot uh, under overstate understate. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, which word I mean, but it was like it's such an important show as well. Yeah. Because I'm sure that there were people who before the show aired, they might not have known anybody who was Muslim, right? Yeah. Because maybe they didn't have anybody in their social group or in their friend group or even in their town that they knew. But they, but once that show aired, they knew that family. Yeah, you know? and you know They what? knew everybody who was at that mosque, right? I, I didn't even realize this until recently when Sweet Tooth came out that I'm actually having more uh, Muslim women come up to me and say that they know me from Little Mosque. Wow. And say that, no, I used to watch you all the time with my family because it was a family-friendly show. Yeah. So... That meant a lot to me to realize that there were Muslim women that actually grew up watching the series. Yeah. Because you don't see that right away. It was a show that was around before social media really took over. So oh, yeah. Yeah, right? So it is that weird thing where you... I didn't really see it. I didn't see the reactions of people falling in love with it and uh, which families fell in love with it. Yeah. So... Probably on CBC Gem right now, right? Probably. Yeah. We'll give that a little look. <laughs> that is a way to, to yeah, watch see it. me in uh, in pigtails. <laughs> yeah, if you want to watch Elisa go through all the awkward stages of teenage or teenage years, you can watch Little Mosque on the Prairie. What is an Elisa Villani role? Ooh. What is an Elisa Villani role? Yeah, what needs to be present in mm. a character to get you all like riled up and excited? To be like, I'm mm. willing to be in the fire for this one. <laughs> I honestly think it's a woman with a voice mm. and knows how to use it. Uh, particularly because that's something I struggle with. As Really? A, yeah, it is something that I've always I guess I'm shocked because we're doing a podcast exactly. right now. Exactly, and, and we're talking. having a conversation. <laughs> uh, but I think in in most cases, I always feel like I need to put on a smile mm. and and be a pleasant little Indian girl. And that's the identity oh. that I've had. That's the identity that, let's say, I was brought up to fulfill. Mm. And I have had to break that down and remove that and say, no, you can live your truth. You can be your authentic self. You don't need to be the happy sweetheart all the time. Yeah. And my friends and people around me don't know me as that anyway. Mm. It's something that I definitely have put on in my job to think that this is someone who's non-confrontational, easygoing, pleasant to work with, and doesn't cause any trouble. Yeah. And so... When I see a role and there is a brown woman, because I'm playing her, who is owning her truth and fighting for something, I just, it's like a magnet. Yeah. I love those characters. I need to be those characters. Yeah. And I get to live out and truly understand how to fulfill my truth by living out characters who do. Mm. 
so yeah I find that my the characters that I play teach me things yeah every time and that's you know thanks to incredible writers and incredible film people that want to make incredible work is there a type of role that you won't do Ooh. Hmm. That's. I always have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, it's a question of whether that character can be adaptable or not. Uh, I think if there is no room for a character to evolve, if a character is just stuck in who they are, never change, really not given the respect. Um, that a character deserves mm. to grow in a story, those are characters I really struggle with. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny because I feel like it's never a case of me booking a role and then denying it because I don't want to work on it. I feel like naturally, if there is a role I am not very connected to, I won't book the part. Yeah. And that's what happens. You know, as actors, we're constantly told, that, like, just fight to get the role, fight to book. And really, there's a, a part inside of us that if we don't believe in a character, we really struggle to bring justice to those characters. Mm. Because if you don't believe that they're real or you believe that they're being presented in a very poor light or you feel like that representation of a person can do harm if this character is out there... Uh, are we then, talking stereotypes? Stereotypes. There's There's been moments where I have felt that women have been put in a poor light. Mm -hmm. They've been used to, yeah, the, for lack of a better word, they're used. They're yeah. used as tools to project a character in a particular direction and has no integrity within themselves. Yeah, Those are characters that I really struggle to play. And if I do audition for them, I already know that I'm not booking that role. Yeah, Because I'm not giving my everything. And quite frankly... There's only been one case where I've genuinely said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to regret this role because it is genuinely something I want the team to know I am refusing. Yeah. Um, you want them to hear you when you say. Yeah. And that's you using your voice. Yeah. And like again, that. that's what I'm saying. It's only happened once, but that doesn't mean that there have been, there haven't been other cases where I've just done the audition and I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not getting that because... You know, I didn't believe in it at all, or I wasn't happy with the character. Yeah. Um, and that happens less so now, which is a really great thing, but it's it's happened quite a bit. Yeah. You ready to play for some favorite things? Let's go for it. Yeah, you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I am so horrible at this, but I will try. No one's good at it. So that's the thing. <laughs> so the way favorite things works is... Uh, Number one, the questions were developed by my then nine-year-old, now 10-year-old daughter, Mari. Um, and basically, she feels that the answers to these questions are very revealing about who you are in your soul. Oh, no. So the key is um, I'm going to ask you to answer what your favorite thing is of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then you should answer from your gut. Now, don't just say a word, the first word that comes to mind without thinking. <laughs> Tom O'Panicket did that, and he was just like, he was just saying words, and it wasn't like, it was. we did a couple ones, and he was just like, it was just, he was, it was like a word association thing for him. He right. wasn't really thinking, like, anyway, think a bit more than that. Okay. Um, but Give yeah. it a sec. <laughs> yeah. Give it a sec, but answer from your gut. You ready? Okay, let's okay. go. Favorite song to sing alone in the car. 
anything by Michael Bublé. <laughs> really? I I I was not expecting that answer. Really? Well, I don't look at you and be like, "There's a Michael Bublé stan." Although <laughs> we, you are drinking a bubbly water right I now, am drinking. and that in our fun. house we do call them the Bublé waters. Oh, I mean, so. it makes sense. <laughs> he he really he does promote it well. Um, yeah, yeah. I love. I grew up loving Michael Bublé. Yeah, my favorite loved, song. Cry Me a River is always great. Oh, okay. Oh, you like his real like Swoony jazz standards. Yeah, it's I can't belt to save my life, but if I'm alone in the car, I'm of course going to try it. Yeah. You know. I'm so. sure if you needed to save your life. Oh, I can sing. It, it's just not something that I could make money off of. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, this one's kind of connect this next one's connected to um to Sweet Tooth. Ooh. Favorite board game. Oh, there's that look that I love. <laughs> I'm trying to decide between two. Oh, I'm going to say Ticket to Ride. Have you played Ticket to no. Ride? No, what's Ticket to Ride? So it's, how do I describe Ticket to Ride? It's kind of like Settlers of Catan, where you're trying oh, to build yeah. a, and that was my second choice, actually. It, uh, you're trying to build a track between cities, and you have certain cards, and you have certain goals to get those trains but what I love is that there's different maps that you can get and there is the India map <gasps> and of course the India map has the most chaotic board you could possibly imagine because the train <laughs> system is a huge part of their It's experience. huge. A lot of people use it and it's fucked up. <laughs> it is and so it made so much sense when you see it because there is a North America board and it's like long trains and big paths because the cities are so spread out and then meanwhile the India board you've got two cities that are just so close. You've got Delhi and Agra and it's like one train and that's all you need. Mm -hmm. So it's fun because <laughs> if I ever play it with friends that don't really know much about India. It's just funny to see them fall into the chaos and yeah. just say, I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. Like, that's most of everyone's experience. Yeah, no one does. No that's one does. That's the thing. <laughs> you see, I have to, like, take a moment so I can get into the favorite things voice. I love <laughs> it. Favorite app. Favorite app. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, no. I want to say the app that I use the most is Instagram, but is it my favorite app? I mean, hmm. I love uh, games on my phone. Like, I like little puzzle games on my phone. So oh, I really like match three type uh, games? No, like Sudoku. Okay. So that is something that even on set of Sweet Tooth, I was playing Sudoku like on the off kind of times because I yeah. didn't get you to You stop playing out. Scrabble as yeah. Ronnie and then you go sit down and you're playing Sudoku. Sudoku, so I go from words <laughs> to numbers. Uh, so yeah, Aliza's a bit more of a numbers person. Ronnie's a bit more of a wordsmith. But it's, yeah, I would say that's the one that I enjoy the most. It's the one that really forces me to unwind, yeah. not be reading the news, not be consuming so much information, but simply going with basic yeah. numbers. This isn't one of Mari's favorite questions, but it's kind of related. Like, is there an app on your phone that you use a lot that you're, like, ashamed of how much you use? Like, for me, it's, like, Twitter. Um, yeah. Because, like, I wake up and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to look at Twitter 
oh, and I, then I look at Twitter and start scrolling. I'm like, why? Oh, this is awful. Why am I looking? And then, yeah. like, you know, 20 minutes goes by. And, yeah, you know. I think with Twitter, I've had a love-hate relationship where I will have the app on my phone. Then I'll say, you know what? I'm taking in too much. It's getting overwhelming. I'm going to delete the app. And then I start going into my web browser and looking it up, and then I'm like, "Hey, <laughs> that's even this more humiliating." You. Oh, a hundred percent. No oh. shame here. Uh, yeah, it's it's something I've been battling with, which is for me, I always love to stay informed. Yeah. So even my news app, my news app is something that I am just glued to. But I think there's a difference between. I mean, if you're using Twitter as like a news aggregator, mm-hmm. that's a correct use of the word aggregator, right? I realize that I don't, I don't really use, use it. that. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll pretend that I know how to use the word aggregator. But like if you're using it as a place to where you are getting news, yeah. I think and like you're looking at news sources, it's fine. But really like for me, I realize that Twitter is just reading people's reactions. 100% to, to news cuz I was going through, you know, and and during certain points in history, that's fine. You know, like on um, you know, on an election day or you know, during the all of the the big protests, the Black Lives Matters protests last yeah. summer. You know, or, or a lot of the stuff with the response to COVID, like you want it, you're so everybody's separated, you want to feel part of a community and that's yeah. fine. But for me the danger is when I'm just doom scrolling bad takes. And that's what happens. With me. And I'm like, this isn't me looking at news, like it's just me like oh man, this person's upset about that and that person's upset about that. And then I'm like, okay, and that's when I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna listen to the BBC World News from BBC World Service and that'll be my news. Exactly, that's <laughs> and, perfect. And that's fine, and that's fine. That's international, so it's like a good, you know, it's not just hyper-focused on what's going on in America, Yeah. you know. Do you find that I've gotten into a habit now where I will write a huge long post and then before I post it I go, is this for me? Mm. Or does this actually help someone else? Whether it's like, it's feeling like, okay, someone else feels the way that I feel, whether it's providing support or in solidarity in any way. There are so many times where I write a post and I'm like, this is me emotionally venting and this is not the space for that. Yeah, I do that. I I ask myself that a lot. Um, I'm, I'm really, like, I feel very hashtag blessed that I do have people that if I need to get my emotions out exactly. I would rather like just like send like one of my people a long a long text yeah um, but I will also uh, there's some things that I will go through in my personal life um, specifically on the mental health front yeah that I will post about on social media because I'm cognizant of the fact that it could help somebody to see that, oh, this person that I listened to on a podcast, they have panic attacks and they have depression. And, you know, and that makes me feel less alone. And so, like, I I, I try to think about in terms of if it could possibly help somebody to read that I've gone through, that I I am going through, you know, these this really hard thing. You know, so that's something that I do ask. But if it's really just a venting thing, and I've done so much of this over the pandemic, like I have like a group of women that like, you know. Amazing. Yeah, not the WhatsApp, but definitely a group chat. (laughs) WhatsApp WhatsApp is is for aunties. (laughs) Exactly, it's a different monster. The amount of auntie WhatsApp groups I have of just different family group chats. Oh yeah. It is hard to keep track. Yeah, so many forwards. Yeah, so and I just get phone forwards. calls saying like, "Hey, did you, why didn't you respond to like this person's message that was three days ago?" I'm like, 
there were 40 messages by the time I got to open that app. Yeah. Like, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard to keep track. That And that, there's no choice. You do need to keep track. That's oh, a family course. thing. Yes, it's a family thing. You, you've got to keep up with all the recipes. got to keep up with all the aunties. Okay, i got a few more questions. Perfect. Uh, and then I'm going to let you go. Aw. <laughs> like, aw. Okay. <laughs> Actually, the next three are very important to my daughter. Oh, so. okay. No pressure. No. <laughs> She'd be like, all pressure. <laughs> okay. Favorite junk food. Favorite junk food? Oh, this is like a sweet tooth question. Yeah. Favorite junk food? I love chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate is everything. If there's chocolate in it, I will most likely at least try it. Can I ask you like a philosophical question? Yeah. That like I I really wrestle with and have argued with my husband about. <laughs> um, where do you stand on white chocolate? I put that in quotation marks because it's not really chocolate. But really I chocolate. still love it. Yeah. There's a time and a place. Yeah. I feel like it almost gets treated like a delicacy for me. Yeah, yeah, That if yeah. it's like, oh, it's a white chocolate day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really. It's not chocolate. Yeah, it's not. It's not ch- Paul? Paul Furminger. <laughs> it is not chocolate. Yeah, it is. It is something that is chocolate-like. It's chocolate adjacent. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> in New Zealand, did they have like their own chocolates that are different than Canadian chocolate? They did. There. Oh no! I think I'm going to ruin this again. There was something called a chocolate fish, and oh, I'm doesn't so sound ruin appetizing it. on the. Although then again, Swedish fish. Delicious. There you go. I mean, I mean, we have like bear claws, and we have all those things. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, names can't say everything. And we actually, we have some incredible listeners in New Zealand. Oh, amazing. So I apologize uh, to all of the amazing humans in New Zealand if I've ruined that. But yeah, that's the only one that I know that have their own uh, chocolate. Chocolate fish. Oh, I'm intrigued. Okay. This is the penultimate question. Favorite movie when you were 10 years old? Oh, there's only one that's come to mind, and that's interesting for 10. I don't know if I was 10 when this was released. Because I was going to say Tuck Everlasting, but I don't think I was 10 when that was released. Tuck Everlasting? What is that one? Alexis Bledel. And mm. I just loved her dress. I just thought her dress was so I don't know beautiful. this movie at all. Really? I don't know it at all. It's... I mean, uh, I'm I'm older than you. But I don't even think I was 10 when that movie that came out. Maybe I was 12, 13. Because 10, I was all into, like, anime. No way. Yeah. Well, like, Pokemon and, like, all that kind of stuff. So those were the... And Sailor You're Moon. You're nerd. <gasps> yes. yes. Who, was your, who was your sailor? Sailor Mars. Oh. Of the sailor long- Mercury. Because oh. I have a little blue hair. Love it. <laughs> I love the long black hair. I just, like... Uh, have you watched the new no. Sailor Moon movie? So that was something that I dove into, and I was like, oh, wow, there is a whole journey that I missed in the last five to six years, I think. Really? Yeah. I and had no the, idea. And God, there's so much good content right now. There's so much good content. <laughs> but I think what I missed, actually, was that what was great is they didn't change the names. When I was, like, 10, they had the names, like, uh, I think Sabrina, Serena or Sabrina? Serena. Serena. Yeah. And uh, there were all these English names, let's yeah. say. Uh, so it was actually nice to watch Sailor Moon and actually 
watch it in Japanese and have the subtitles and actually get into the proper names. And I realized that, like, growing up, because I watched it on TV in Canada, yeah. that, yeah, there was that change that I had to go through watching, oh, now I know which movie's my favorite movie, Kiki's Delivery Service. <gasps> wow. Kiki's Delivery Service. That, that was also, my there favorite. was like a, you were struck by lightning in that moment. Yeah. When you're like, ah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, saying. why did Tuck Everlasting come into my mind? Because that's, let's say that's a genre that I really love yeah. and I loved in my teenage years. But yeah, 10, I was very much into that anime yeah. in the world. And Totoro, like Kiki's Delivery Service. Mari has seen and that. loves Kiki's Delivery Service. Isn't it so sweet? Yeah, it's so sweet. I love it. Is that the one with the little cat? Yes, the little and I, cat? I grew yeah, up okay. with black cats. <gasps> really? Yeah. I had a black cat named Stan for, <gasps> for uh, I'll show you, because I have a skin, not his actual skin, but I have a skin of him. On my uh, on my computer over here, oh. and then on this side I have a skin of my other two cats: yeah. Wade Wilson, who's black, and Vanessa, who's Siamese. Yeah, I grew up yeah. with cats up until recently, and now I, I have a dog. But uh, yeah, I always had black cats. Black cats. The they are. They're so sweet. They're so um, hard to get a good photo of them, though. They are. Yeah. <laughs> it's either the beady, crazy, reflected yes! eyes, or like. You get them and it they look stunned. Yeah. Because of the flash. And yeah. Like, okay, no, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Oh which kind of brings us to the last question. Oh, okay. Which for Mari is the big question. Mm. I'm like giving you attitude hands. Like this is <laughs> I'm pointing at you. This is a big question. Favorite animal. Oh no. Oh no! I have to choose. <laughs> I feel like I have to choose whether I'm a dog person or a cat person here. But I've I've always loved cats, all kinds of cats. Yeah, like yeah, any type of cat is my favorite animal. From big cats to small cats, I just love seeing them. Yeah, and they're just such beautiful creatures. And very I intriguing. I grew up with dogs. Yeah, big, big dogs especially. Um, and I, I like I. I can't walk by a dog without telling them that they're such a good dog. You know, <laughs> I could dog. I could dog. But I think that, like, I have so much respect for cats in a right? way that I don't have respect for dogs. Yeah. Um, I love dogs, and they're so cute and floofy. But cats, like, it's like they have... They're like humans. They know who they... I respect cats more than I respect most humans. They know who they are. They have boundaries. They have boundaries! That I is, wish I was a cat. Exactly. You, you sorted Honestly, it Honestly, that's what it is, is that for me, cats have boundaries, and I never understood the concept of, oh, but dogs give unconditional love. I'm like, I don't need unconditional love. I like the condition with cats. Yes. I, I need to earn that respect. Whoa. Yeah, so I've always loved that growing up with cats because there is consent. Yeah. Boy, is there consent. You want to learn about consent? Get a cat. I don't even want to ask you another question. <laughs> that was such a wonderful answer. Elisa Villani. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to thank you. Um, <laughs> I just said your name. Where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you Ooh. on the social media? I am on Instagram and Twitter, at Eliza Villani. That is my handle. And um, I will be on there just spreading love and awareness and trying to live life. Yeah, and not doom scrolling. Exactly. And I will be on there doom scrolling. 
frankly. <laughs> Thank you so much. Please come back again. And um, I'm crossing my fingers, my toes, my belly button. Is that a thing? Can you, you can cross? cross a belly button? I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> uh, with with all and putting all of this positive vibes out there, hoping for another season of Sweet Tooth because I need to know what happens for Ronnie and for Gus, for Big Man, yes. and for Dog. For Dog. <laughs> for the sake of Dog. <laughs> for the sake of Dog. Oh my God! And Dog goes through some stuff. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, watch Sweet Tooth on Netflix. All right. Like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners, and then we can keep these conversations going. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted an executive. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I can't even say it anymore. It is hosted and executive produced by me. Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devilet, poor not Furminger Devilet, Dane, for the original music. Why Bear Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! In the current COVID-19 environment, UBCP ACTRA, the BC Performers Union in the film and TV industry, has been working closely with industry partners, formulating sensible and practical guidelines for all cast and crew to ensure working on set is manageable and safe for everyone. UBCP ACTRA has created a dedicated COVID-19 webpage at www.ubcpactra.ca where members can find mental health resources, financial assistance information, and back-to-work strategies and updates about the current status of film production in the province of British Columbia. UBCP ACTRA knows this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for many people, and we look forward to better days ahead. We will get through this together. Please visit www.ubcpactra.ca. A message from UBCP Actra.